Would you grab your Bibles now with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in this series called Walk In. And it's the idea that because of what God has done in us, we are to now live out, to walk out what he has done in us. So uh, we made a commitment that we were never going to look at a passage in chapter 4 and 5 without remembering what chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about. Because, and listen please, the Christian life is the overflow of what God has done in us. Any attempt to live the Christian life apart from what God has done in us will be frustrating and failure. There must be a work of God in me for the work of God to then to happen through me. So before we look at how we're to walk, let's remember again what God has done for us and who we are in Christ. In Christ, we are alive from the dead. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are loved perfectly and strengthened supernaturally, made a minister of God. If you've been coming, you've seen these every week. And I hope they'll start to get into the fabric of your thinking. That you would identify, if you have trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, and you've been born again through faith, that you would begin to think of yourself accurately. I am in Christ. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I am loved and blessed and strengthened to be God's instrument for more people finding more life in Jesus. That is what God has done in us. In response to what God has done in us, the scripture says then, here's how you should walk in Christ. Walk in unity through humility. Walk in service to the body of Christ. You've been gifted in order to serve for the building up of the body. Walk in growing maturity that we are, each of us, to be growing into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then we're to walk in new paths, which suggests we used to walk in old paths. And that's what this dresser, dresser up here is about each week. It's the reminder that we used to live a certain way, and it was reflected by this, this bottom drawer. We, we lived out of the fact that we were dead in our sins, and we were separated from God, and so we lived in immorality and impurity, and we were liars and haters. We might have been nice citizens about it, but at heart, we were liars and haters. But in Christ, we have been made new to think new thoughts so that we could live new lives. So this dresser represents that there's old ways we used to live, and they're still available to us, but we're not intended to walk in those ways anymore. We're intended to, with new minds, live in new ways, to walk in new paths, specifically using new words. There were words, curse words, lying words, words that reflected our old life, but that's not who we are, so we put on new words. We put on a new work. Work is good. And I don't work just to get out of work. I work in order to share. And then we looked at last week, a path of new love. To love as we have been loved. Not a selfish life, but to see how have we loved in order to love in that way. So we walk in new paths. Specifically, we saw last week that when we love... As Christ has loved us, we meet real needs. And I told you about this super kids ministry here at the chapel. Those who have special needs in their families, and it's hard to find a place to worship in town, quite frankly, because who can care for their kids that require one-on-one -on -one attention? And so grateful that I think now 10 folks since the last Sunday said, I'll be a one-on-one -on -one buddy so that that person would be uniquely loved and that family would be freed up to be able to worship. So big thanks for those who said, I'm going to love as I have been loved. Really grateful for that. <clears throat> because it, it's connecting to folks who have a difficult time connecting because of the unique needs of the family. So really grateful for those who said, I'll be a buddy. And if you're like, I've never heard of this, 
feel free to reach out to us and learn about the Super Kids ministry here at the chapel. So uh, we have a new path this morning. So verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to just read uh, verses 3 through 5 to begin. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty. That's pretty challenging. This we know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So this is about, as we learn to walk, we learn to walk as heirs. And he says these three realities about those who have an inheritance. First, he said, heirs go, according to verse 3, heirs go by new names. In other words, before we were heirs, before we were in the family of God, There were things named among us that should not be any longer named among us. He said our names were immorality, impurity, and greedy. You thought, wow, really? You call somebody greedy? Yeah. You call somebody immoral? Yeah, that's a reflection of the life that they live. And he's saying, very simply, heirs... Those who are in Christ don't go by those names anymore. But these names, these three names are repeated three times in Ephesians 4 and 5 as how we no longer walk. If you go back to chapter 4, it says this in verse 18 about those who are outside of the family of God, who are not heirs. He says about them being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality immorality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness i don't think it's an accident that paul in chapter four and five three times names the same issues that are not to be named among the people of god Immorality, it's not who we are. Impure, not who we are. Greedy, not to be named among us. He says for this reason, you didn't learn Christ in this way. That's no longer who you are. That's who you, that used to be bottom drawer living, but now you're a new person in Christ. And therefore he says, Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness. Not immorality, righteousness. And holiness, not impurity. So we go by new names. We are now the righteous, not the immoral. We're the righteous. We are now the holy, not the impure. And if you go to the Gospel of John... He makes it even more personal. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We have a new name, child. A child of God. And then with the disciples in their upper room, Jesus says, I don't call you slaves. You are now, anybody know? Friends, friends, that's our name. See, I, I, I want us to see, we used to live out of a heart far from God and therefore immorality, impurity, greediness, it made sense. But now that we are in Christ, none of that's to be named among us because we're in Christ what, what should be named among us? Righteous, holy. They are children of God. 
friends of God. That's what should be named among us. But it's not just new names. Verse 4, if you're still there in chapter 5. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, what? Giving of thanks. So not only new names, but heirs wear a new size. This helps me see this. If I would have worn this shirt to teach in today, what would have you honestly thought? That's a little big. It's a lot big, right? You might even, if you were felt comfortable, you might go, uh, Doug, whose shirt is that? Meaning, certainly you didn't get that for you because that would be like a dress in our current day. This doesn't, this doesn't fit. And all he's simply saying in this text is, there's words before you came to Christ that fit who you were. And they were coarse and filthy and silly. And and don't think silly like dad joke. Gutter talk is a more accurate understanding of silly there. That fit because you were far from God. But when you became a friend of God, a child of God, you were made righteous and holy, and that sort of talk doesn't fit anymore. It ought to be clear in the words that come out of our mouth that filthy doesn't fit anymore. Silly doesn't fit anymore. Coarse doesn't fit anymore. It does fit. I fully expect those who are far from God to speak in those ways. So I'm not the person that runs around as the language police telling unbelievers, hey, don't say those words. But there is a difference if the person declares to be a follower of Jesus. Then, without hesitation, hey, that doesn't really fit anymore. Those, those words don't fit who we are now in Christ. What does fit, did the text say, verse 4? Thankfulness. Yeah. Heirs wear garments of thanksgiving. Uh, this is too minimized. Too little is identified. Church, what fits is not filthy, coarse, and silly. What fits is thankfulness. When? Always. Yes. That's what fits. Uh, I am very grateful that one of the real pivots in my own spiritual journey was understanding that the scripture declared that the language of faith is thankfulness in all things. That's what fits. And the scripture repeatedly says this. We're in chapter four, verse four. You go down to verse 20 and it says, always giving thanks. We're gonna be looking at this in a few weeks. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When? Always. For what? All things. Grumbling. Complaining. Which regrettably is what often the church is known for. A bunch of complainers. That doesn't fit. What fits? Thankfulness. Can I ask you a question? Would you be known as a thankful person at work? A thankful person at home? A grateful person? Not negative. Not a grumbler. The person who who says, oh, it's not I'm not a half glass full person. I'm a realist. 
I want us to be very clear. The garment that fits the people of God is thankfulness. He says to the Thessalonians, in everything give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I want to really encourage us to catch ourselves in the coming weeks. What's coming out of my mouth? Does it fit that I've been called a friend of God, a child of God? And because a child of God who has been, how have I been loved? Thanks. Loved perfectly. If I was genuinely believed I was loved perfectly, what would come out of my mouth? Thankfulness. Yeah, because I would go, he couldn't love me more. I wouldn't complain because I'm loved perfectly and I'm strengthened supernaturally. So so I'm not going to grumble. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. Do you see, friends, how what we believe to be true about what God has done in us, if we really get it, loved perfectly, strengthened supernaturally, blessed with every spiritual blessing. What in the world am I doing complaining and grumbling and worrying? Thankfulness in all things, at all times, for all reasons, because he couldn't love me more. Can you receive that? That's what fits. Grumbling doesn't fit anymore. Complaining, filthy, coarse, filthy, doesn't fit anymore. Verse 5. Third. Third truth about heirs. For this you know with certainty. So sometimes this gets fuzzy. I appreciate that opening. There's lots of debate about this. And Paul's like, there needs to be no debate about this. No question. This we know with certainty. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's simply saying heirs. Because did you notice which three he talked about there? He talked about the same one. Immorality, impurity, and greediness. He's saying heirs don't continue in their old ways. That's who they used to be, but that's because they used to have old names. Now they have new names, and people with new names walk in new ways. So, did did you capture it? We know this with certainty. Immoral, impure, covetous, not heirs. Because heirs don't continue in old ways for three reasons. First, Heirs have an inheritance before heaven. And I say before heaven because for most of my life, quite frankly, before I jumped into Ephesians, if somebody would have said, what's your inheritance in Christ, Doug? I would have said immediately, heaven. I get eternal life in heaven. And is that true? Yes or no? Yes, that's true. That's a great part of the inheritance. But I I actually have... An inheritance before heaven. I actually, in some sense, I don't have to physically die to get my inheritance. What inheritance do I have before heaven? He made, 2 Corinthians 5 says, the father made him, the son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf for this reason. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I have an inheritance before I get to heaven of the righteousness of God. That's why I have a new name. It's not like, oh, let's just go, you're the same old person, we'll just call you a new name. No. You're a new person. You used to be dead in your sin, but now you are righteous. So what should we call you? Mm, Righteous. You have received the righteousness of Christ. Now, be clear. Will you receive it or have you received it? You have received it. I'm not waiting for pie in the sky when I die. It's not, oh, 
I've got to get to heaven. Till then, I'm just a sinner. No. I used to be only a slave to sin. Now, I'm righteous, holy, because I'm a child and a friend. And therefore, because I have the righteousness of Christ, I don't continue in old ways. Second, Romans 6 says, If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just take a moment and let me unpack that for you. There was a point in my life where I understood only the gospel in this way. Christ died for my sins. To pay the penalty for my sins so that I could be forgiven and go to heaven. Is that true? Yes. But that's only half the truth. It is true that Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins so that if I would believe in him, I would be forgiven, cleansed, and washed. But he didn't just die. He was raised from the dead. And I am not only, when I place faith in him, I'm not only identified with him in his death for forgiveness, I am identified in his resurrection. Why? So I could not continue an old path so that I could live a new life, a raised life where the old life crucified with Christ and the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me, who not only died for me, but who was raised again. Knowing this, that because our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. What's that mean? Simply this, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, which means prior to identification with Christ, I was a slave to sin. I could only live out of the bottom drawer. But when I was born again, not only was my bottom drawer stuff forgiven, I became a new person so that I could live a new life. My inheritance is not only that I have the righteousness of Christ, but I have received freedom from the power of sin. You do not have to be a slave to lust or greed or alcohol or approval. The thing that used to drive your life, you've been set free. That's why heirs don't continue in old ways. they've been set free. They've been given the righteousness of Christ and his divine power has granted to us everything. Everything what? Pertaining to life and godliness. Simply what that means is this. There's nothing that God has called you to be and to do that he has not enabled you by his power through the person of the Holy Spirit, to do. How much I needed to know that the first couple of years I walked with the Lord. I just knew he died for me. I didn't know he had raised. I knew he had raised. I just didn't think his resurrection had anything to do with me. I didn't know that in his resurrection he set me free from the slavery to sin and he poured his spirit in me, the Holy Spirit in me, For what? For godliness. So I could live like the one who is now my father. Now don't don't miss the big picture here. What are we saying? We're saying we know with certainty that heirs don't continue in their old ways because heirs have an inheritance. And what is it? Righteousness and freedom and power for godliness. So I don't live like I used to live. But it's even more than that. Second reason that heirs don't continue in old ways is this. Oh, I hate when I forget when I added a slide. There's three if-then statements that I want us to to understand. And you'll need to write these down. All he's saying here in verse 5 is this. If you are made righteous 
and set free from slavery to sin and spirit empowered for godliness. Yes or no? Yes. If that's true, then what? Then you'll not continue in sin. That's the if-then statement. If that's true, and the scripture declares it to be for those born again, then I won't continue in sin. Which is why Romans 6, which is all about this, starts with, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? The answer may never be. <laughs> As old heirs don't continue in old ways. All right, second reason. Heirs don't continue in old ways. Because heirs will, will be changed by God. It, it's not only what he has done for me and giving me his righteousness, his spirit, and his freedom. It's the promise of God to change me. He says, I'll change you. And I put three passages there, just the reference so you'd have them. You can write whatever you want after it. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, what's that talking about? When you were saved, when you were set free from the power of sin, uh, the God who began the good work of forgiving you and setting you free and pouring his spirit into you, he who began a work in you will, he will perfect it under the day of Christ Jesus. God says, if I, if I saved you, I will grow you. I'll change you. Later in Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it sounds like, ah, it's on you. <laughs> Do that because this is true. For it is God who is at work in you. In two ways. To will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, it's not only what God has done for me. It's what God is doing in me. And not just in my behavior, but in my desires. Can, can you think about for your own life now for a moment? Something that prior you came to Christ that you really wrestled with, you were, maybe you wouldn't go, I was a slave too, but uh, okay, I was a slave. <laughs> For me, a temper. I mean, I was so angry when fly off. I was the guy yelling at the TV when the sport team blew it, screaming and yelling. Actually, At some point, and this is what I mean, at some point, that changed. And if you ask me, how'd you get over your temper? I would tell you this. Uh, the Lord changed me. Now, I'm still competitive. But I used to throw my racket get so angry and send balls sailing. Now I just want to beat the other guy. I say, I, I'm not saying my competitive, the Lord, and I didn't realize it until I looked back and I went, you know, nobody took me through an anger management class. I thought that would be wrong. It was, God get a, did a work in me. And he took my temper away. Anything like that happen in your life? Maybe not with temper, but it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This next passage is a little longer, so I'm going to unpack it for you. It takes some explanation. It's from 2 Corinthians 3. It says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. What the world's that about? Here's what that's about. 
In the Old Testament, in Exodus, after the people of God, Israel, had been removed from slavery in Egypt and were headed toward the promised land, they stop at Mount Sinai. And there God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. And Moses is their leader. And he, it says, would go up on Mount Sinai and he would have an encounter with God. And that encounter with God resulted in a literal physical glow about him. So that when he came down from the mountain, they were like, dude, you're glowing. And it didn't happen to anybody else. So it was clearly in relation to when Moses went in God's presence, his face would shine. Except after he left God's presence and he was with the people, they'd go, you're fading. You're not glowing like as much as you used to. And Moses thought, awkward. And so he put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't go, "Eh, you're losing it, dude. What's the text say? We're not like that. Why? But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Why? Because it is removed in Christ. The veil that hides the fade is removed. Huh. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, can't capture it. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom, freedom from what? The fate, freedom from this. I'm in the presence of God. And it shows, and then I'm out of the presence of God, and it fades. Why does it not work that way anymore? Because the presence of God for the people of God is within us. It's not in a place. It's not like you come to church and you you go, oh, I'm in the presence of God in the sanctuary. And so I glow through lunch, but by dinner, it's bad. It's the spirit of God is in me. And if the spirit of God is in me, then the intent is that I'm always in the presence of God. And and therefore, there's not a fading, but a, a growing glow. Which is what verse 18 says. But we all, with unveiled face, why is our face unveiled? Because we're in Christ. beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We are being changed into what? The same image that we see in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. So in other words, we're being changed to be more like Jesus. We're being changed to be more like God. Justice from the Lord the spirit you see it, it, it if you go on I, I don't know how to write down everything what jesus has said here's all you have to capture there's no veil in christ because god is increasing the shine who is god is see i hope you're capturing heirs don't walk in old ways because god made a promise I'm going to change you. What was the first if? If I am who the Bible says I am in Christ, I won't continue in sin. May it never be. What's the second if then? If we are heirs of God, then the God who saves us promises I will change you. I will change you. Which then, this is why this expression, with certainty, is so important. It gets to this deal. Yeah, but uh, what about the person who professes Christ but never changes? Probably most of you have wrestled with that question. Maybe for yourself. 
said the right words, but I've never changed. And I don't really know if I'm going to go to heaven or not. And it's always that. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. Because we think the inheritance is only heaven. And we've missed the fact that the inheritance happens before heaven. So what's the text say about those who say, I believe in Jesus, but are never changed? Verse 6. Somebody wants to know, clearly. <laughs> Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What's he say? There are some words that are empty. When somebody makes a threat and you go, that's an empty threat, what are you saying? Uh, they don't have the capacity to back it up. And what the text says, this we know with certainty. Heirs do not speak empty words. Who speaks empty words? Those who are not heirs. There are some who would tell other people empty words. Oh, you can go to heaven. No, you don't ever need to change. Just live the life you want to live in and God will forgive you and you can go to heaven. And actually the scripture says, not true. That is not true. Those are empty words to say, I trust in Jesus but I never change because heirs change. It's what God promises. It's because it's he's made them. If you say you believe, but you're not changed, verse 6 says, your words are empty. They don't have the substance to validate. And therefore, you remain under the wrath of God. In other words, you remain a son of disobedience instead of a child of God. Now, if you're wrestling with what I'm saying, this would be a great time for you to go back and look at verse 5 and 6 again. To go, now this we know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man who's an idolater will receive an inheritance. They won't be heirs. Why? Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, is it possible to say the right things but never be changed? Jesus said it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is that the right thing? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never. It's not that they were sons and then got kicked out of the family. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's lawlessness? Immorality, impurity, greediness. Now, I imagine some of you are thinking, whoa, are you saying we're saved by our works? 100% no. The Bible says with great clarity, we are saved by our faith. That changes us. 
So are we saved by our works? No, 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 no. We're saved by grace through faith. Genuine faith changes us. Therefore, we know with certainty that the one who says the right words but is never changed by God who promises to change his children are not heirs. This is why we, on a consistent basis, find people who have gone to church their entire life and know the right things and have learned to say the right words but have never been born again. This is why we find in our counseling ministry people who continue to be enslaved to sin and they think, why can't I change? And it's simply this. Because you haven't been born again yet. Because God changes his children. An unforgettable moment for me. It's a friend who had been coming to chapel for quite a while. He sat back here, um, but wasn't a follower of Christ yet. And then one Sunday, on his birthday actually, I said, hey, why don't you come over to my house before you go out with the family for dinner. Came over, I went through the gospel with him again on my back porch. And God opened his eyes and his heart, and he got on his knees. He gave his life to the Lord. Called me the next day and said, Doug, I ran into this jerk this morning at work. And I had so many things that I wanted to say to him. And then I stopped and I said, you can be glad it's Monday and not Friday. (laughs) Seriously. Because I gave my life to Jesus last night. And so I'm not going to say to you the things that I would have said to you on Friday. He wasn't fully there yet. (laughs) He didn't bless him, but he didn't kill him. (laughs) That's a little bit of change, right? What I, what I, that's an unforgettable for me because he recognized within 12 hours in a real life situation, I'm a new person. And so I live in a new way. Because God makes me new. And so, I don't know. Only you might know. Do you have a testimony? Now, what do I mean by when I say that? I mean this. Not do you have words, the right words that you've learned. Does your life reveal God has made me new. See, that's the testimony, right? Anybody can be taught the right words. I know lots of people who say, I heard the right words and I said the right words to get the wrong people off my back. <laughs> the wrong people were the people who were harassing them. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. If I just say the right words, they'll let me alone. But they recognized I was never new. Do you have a testimony that God has changed you? I want you to ask yourself that question as Matt sings and as he sings this. If you come to the conclusion, I'm not sure I've ever really been made new. I'll come up and I'll lead us in a prayer that's not magical but that you might say for the first time out of a genuine heart to trust in Jesus. Listen. Got a testimony and I'm gonna tell Got a signal where I've come from There is power in the gospel and I felt it From the moment that I 
testimony and I'm gonna tell it And he found me, he held me, he loved me He picked me up, healed me, he restored me, he changed me Jesus can do it. We can't do it ourselves. And so if you have a sense that maybe you would be embarrassed if others knew, but that you've said right things, but always continued to be unchanged, I want to invite you to bow with me. And again, these are not magical words, but the scripture says that if we'll confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead not saying words but confessing admitting our sin that Jesus paid inviting him to be the Lord the one who now makes me new grows the shine would you simply cry out to God in this moment God save me change me make me new through your son I believe in him I yield to him Lord, I believe that you turn the light on for folks who are in darkness. That you take dead people and make them alive in Christ. And I pray that that would be the supernatural, miraculous work that you would do in the hearts of some in this room, north who are watching online. Do you believe in Jesus? Be called a child of God. Lord, thank you that you promised that you'll pour your spirit into those who believe. And that will begin the transformational work of making new men, new women new people in Christ. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, that you have declared us to be righteous, not perfect, but righteous, growing into your image. Would we know with certainty that we are heirs who have new names to the praise of your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and let's declare together. He 
said before if you are unsure if you're questioning even now if you are genuinely born again we don't want you to go here uh, go away here discouraged but we have men and women like Tracy said before just out uh, the back between the auditoriums there who would be happy to talk to you to pray with you to discuss that one-on-one don't go home without talking to someone to do that I said no shame no guilt we uh, only only love um, and we want to pray with you. We want to help you on that journey. And we're asking too, if you are, if you're a member of CFC, I know this might be inconvenient for you, um, but after our second service at 12 o'clock, we'd like to meet back here again in uh, the South Auditorium at 12 o'clock. Our elders have uh, a few minutes. They'd like to speak to us as a family. So if you could do that, um, like I said, it might be inconvenient, but it definitely will be worth it. Um, So asking if you would try to do that 12 o'clock back here in the South Auditorium, if you're a member of CFC. You guys have a great day. Thanks for being here.